Good morning, church. I am, um, I'm really humbled to be standing in front of you guys today, but you know what hit me is um, I've been coming for a few months, and I haven't introduced my family. Now, in the South, that's rude. Like, that is, that is so rude to do. So I thought I'd just put a picture of my family up on the screens and walk you through everybody. First of all, that is my wife, Amy, on the left. You've seen her sing a few times. Amy spells her name in a unique way. It's with an I instead of a Y. And her mom said something about a couple months before Amy was born, Carla's cousin had a, a girl named her Amy with a Y. And that was all kinds of drama in the family. And so Carla was like, oh, no, she's still going to be Amy. I'm just going to name her with an I. So she's special. And I don't know. That wasn't even important. I just thought I would share. My youngest there on the right, that's Gabe. Gabe is a freshman in high school at Waterford Kettering High School. And then Ian is the goofy-looking guy in the middle. He, um, he's a freshman at Eastern Michigan University. Now, I do have a lot of the story that I want to tell you, but I, I think we would be, uh, miss the mark if, as a church family, we didn't open the Word of God this morning, because that's really why we're here. So let's open up our Bibles to Mark chapter 10 this morning. Mark chapter 10, we're going to be in verses 46 through 52. As you're turning there, CT did a phenomenal job already telling you, but guys, it's big. Two weeks is Easter. That's the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We do have four services. I'll be there at 7, so you might as well come. Like 7, 8, 30, 10, and 11, 30, I'm going to be there. It's going to be a great time. Next week is Palm Sunday. That's where we celebrate the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And we're also going to have an Easter egg hunt because those two things, they just go together really, really well. So Easter egg hunt following this service next week. Lunch is going to be provided. It's going to be a great time. Let's dive in. Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. The Word of God says this. I'm just going to read the whole text and then we'll pick it apart a little bit. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd... Bartimaeus, the blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Verse 49, and Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Now it seems like the world is just zooming by at an incredible pace, doesn't it? It's going, and it's the same way when you read scripture. Like as I read scripture, it seems like it just, it's speeding up right here in Mark. It seems like the, the rate of the journey just is increasing as Jesus gets closer to the cross. And when you do that, when you go through life and there's all this chaos and there's all this speed of life, noise starts to enter into our lives, doesn't it? You see, I used to teach at Cornerstone University. I was a, a a calm guy, so I was an adjunct professor in the communication department. And, and the basics of communication is this very simple. You have a sender, you have a receiver. Isn't that how communication works? There's a sender, there's a receiver. The problem with the communication process is noise starts to enter. 
Very simply, like it, it could be a billboard, it could be the radio, it could be your grumbly tummy, like it's getting close to lunchtime, it could, be, it could be you thinking about everything else you need to do today. There's so many things that can get in the way and be noise along the way. And here you have this, this blind beggar sitting on the street, Bartimaeus, he's just sitting there and there's all this noise, there's all these people going by, but somehow, some way, in this moment, there's a, a slamming on of the brakes, Jesus captures his attention. Do you see that? Jesus captures his attention right here in this moment. When is the last time that Jesus captured your attention? I mean, I mean the kind of attention where it causes you to stop everything. All this noise is happening in life. You got all of life's realities, but when's the last time you, in fact, I would just ask this, when's the last time anything caught your attention? Right, when's the last time anything caused you? There's been quite a few things through the years that's caught my attention. Like two years or, or two days before my freshman year of college started, two days before, I went to talk to one of my friends from high school. Now, I graduated with about 50 people in my class. So when I went to college with anyone from my class, like I knew them. There's only 50 of us, right? So we knew each other. So I was talking to Crystal, and she introduced me to her roommate. That was Amy. That was two days before college started. That caught my attention. A few months later, it was springtime, and in the springtime of our freshman year, it was my birthday, and I made my move. Like, I just said, hey, it's my birthday. You should go out with me for my birthday as a birthday present. <laughs> and she said yes. She's like, she kind of looked at me, scooting her, and I said, like, okay, I'll go with you for your birthday out on a date. Like, it was weird, but it worked. It totally worked. A few months later, it was summertime, and I proposed. Like, she, so she caught my attention through the process, and this summer... This summer will be 24 years of marriage. And man, there's been so much we've experienced. Yeah, that's good stuff. We had through 24 years, we've taught school together. We've had two kids together. And since the early days, we've done ministry together. It started with, with drama ministry, and then it was student ministry, and then it was missions, and then it was church planting. And a few times I've been senior pastor of churches, and now it's Woodside Bible Church. But back to the question, what really captures your attention? Because in this moment, Jesus caught Bartimaeus' attention. Everything, all the chaos of life, he slammed on the brakes and he called out to Jesus. Now you expect, let's be intellectually honest with each other. You expect people who do what I do to say things like this, don't you? You expect me to say we should have blinders on and not look to the left or the right, but keep our focus on Jesus. You expect me to say that. But I want you to notice what else happened in the passage. You see, what else happened is Jesus had his attention captured. Do you see that? Bartimaeus wasn't the only one who slammed on the brakes. Jesus was walking along. Now, if you've ever seen, like even on the highway, if you have one car stop, it causes a ripple effect, doesn't it? Jesus, though, he's with the disciples. So if you have 13 people stop in a crowd, it causes a bigger ripple effect. But it's more than just the 13. Look what Scripture says. It says not just there's a crowd with Jesus and the disciples, but it says there's a great crowd with Jesus and his disciples. And they're walking along, and they all slam on the brakes. Why? Why, why would Jesus, with everyone calling out, with all the cash, with all the noise going on, Jesus, remember what's going through his head and his heart right now. He's on his way to the cross. He's got plenty on his mind and his heart right here. And he slams on the brakes for Bartimaeus. Why? Well, we see based on what he says. Look back at scripture, verse 52. Look what it says. Jesus says to him, go your way because what? Because your 
faith has made you well. That's what God wants from us. You can't please God unless you have faith. He wants you to have a big faith in who he is and what he's done and what he's doing and what he's going to do. He wants us all to have a big faith. We even say it in the words of Jesus, he starts Mark. Mark really is broken into three sections. This last section that we're getting ready to go into, the, the third section is Holy Week, is Jesus going into Jerusalem and then the crucifixion and the resurrection. So we're getting ready to end today. We're ending not only this sermon series, but we're ending this this second section. This whole story in the gospel of Mark starts with Jesus saying this. Jesus said, repent and have faith in the gospel. Repent and have faith in the gospel. The other book in, Jesus says, go, your faith has made you well. Isn't that cool? Isn't that how that works? Which brings us to our first point today. Saving faith senses a deep need. Saving faith senses a deep need. Bartimaeus knew his deep need. You see, when it came to society, he didn't hold a high position in society. The first century isn't all that different than today. Today, think about the people who hold high positions in society. They've got money, they got wealth, they got power, they got popularity, they got all that stuff, right? Bartimaeus, he didn't even, he didn't have any of that. He was a beggar, he was on the streets. He didn't even hold a low position of authority. He held no position. He would have been considered the least of these. And day after day after day, he sat there keenly aware of his desperate need. I want to call time out on that for a moment. I want to go and share just a bit of my testimony with you. Because Steve wanted to make sure that I, I shared some of the stories so you would have some context in December of 2010, we made the move as a family from Oklahoma to Portage, Michigan, which is right by Kalamazoo. We've been in Oklahoma. I've shared this story a little bit with you. We've been in Oklahoma serving as a senior pastor there. I have to tell you about the goat walking into the church sometime, which really happened. Like a goat literally walked in. We were out in the country, and uh, I got a great picture of the goat. Anyway, we were there serving, and I, and I shared this part. I, we were there serving because we had left Arizona, where we were church planting, to go and take care of Amy's mom for a while. Uh, there had been a car accident, and that car accident had killed Amy's uh, dad and Nana and Papa and uncle. And her mom was thrown from the vehicle. A young man was street racing when he hit their van. And so we really went back to take care of Amy's mom for a season. I just want to say, when you have events like that happen in life, it, it, it changes the way you preach. That makes sense? Because when you, when you have events like that, you are reminded in such a powerful way, um, I'm not guaranteed to see you next week. I, I don't know that we have any more days. We have right now. So this is a gift. There's urgency in this moment for me. And I hope there's urgency in this moment for you because we're not guaranteed any more moments. It changes. It does. It just changes the way that you preach. And so Amy's mom was in this tough place of really asking, what's my purpose in life? If you've ever gone through any kind of tragedy, that's the kind of thing you ask in that moment. Like, my husband died, I didn't die, I don't even understand why I'm here anymore. And so Amy and I got the chance to be there whispering in her ear constantly, there's a purpose in your life, and your purpose comes from God and God alone. That's where your purpose comes from. There's a reason you're on this earth. He has plans for you. He has, he has given you gifts and talents and passions and burdens for a reason, and you ought not to waste it. And oh my goodness, she does not waste it. But she had to kind of have that reminder. So for two years, years we served there and then we transitioned up to Portage, 
Michigan. And uh, when we transitioned to Portage, Michigan, it was an exciting time. The church started to grow. Exciting things started to happen. Community involvement went up. Uh, we saw people getting baptized like crazy. We had to do um, a, a financial campaign, a building campaign. Like you guys know something about that, right? Had to do this building campaign because we didn't have any more room. You know about that too, right? We didn't have any more room. In fact, we were kind of landlocked. And so we had to say, we we need to build, but we can't build, so we're going to build by moving about six miles down the road. And so we physically moved to a different building, and it was just, it was a, it was a good time, uh, an exciting time. And that's when I started to talk to Woodside. So I spent six years there, started to talk to Woodside about a year and a half ago. It was November when I started to talk to Bob Bryant, going through the interview process. Again, that was November. We continued to interview until Easter of last year. Kind of interesting, isn't it? Till Easter. Bob wanted me to start the week before Easter. He wanted me to start on Holy Week, and I just kind of laughed, and I'm like, that's a rotten time to start. Like, that's, no one wants to talk to me. Everybody's kind of busy, so let's start on that next Monday. So start on the next Monday, I did. My job has been campus development, new campus development more specifically. So my job was I get to pour into uh, new works, new mergers, new church plants. You know, we have 14 campuses now. We're actually working on 15. You've probably heard of Detroit East. And so we actually, within the first two weeks of starting... And Bob and I went down, and we started to, to talk with a guy named Larry Johnson. We started to dream at 8 Mile and Kelly at that intersection. What would the Lord do here? And so I had about a week and a half to two weeks of working before I got a phone call. See, every weekend what I was doing is driving back to Kalamazoo. Because even though I started at Woodside, my family wasn't ready to make the move. Amy was still teaching school. Ian was a senior in high school. You can't move someone out when they're a senior two months before grad. Yeah, it doesn't work. So I, what I would do is I'd stay at my red roof inn throughout the week, which caught on fire. Another good story. I've got photos, and I'm going to show you the photos. We have a lot to catch up on. We have a lot to catch up on. It was no true. Like, I was sitting there working, answering emails, when all of a sudden I heard all this noise. So I peeked out the window, and there's like this huge fire truck, and the guys are gearing up like it's go time. And I'm like, I don't, I don't think I should just sit in here and ignore it. So anyway... Great photos, I'll tell you the story sometime. And so anyway, I would go and I would visit my family and I'd see my family Friday and Saturday. And then throughout the week, I would live at the Red Roof. And some of you, you know what that's like. Like your job has you going back and forth. It's challenging. Like it's hard because you miss your family and you, know, you, you do the best you can. So I'm going back and forth. I was at home in Kalamazoo area. It was Saturday and Bob called me. Bob's like, all right, Billy, now that you are well-grounded with Woodside DNA and values. I mean, you've been here a week and a half. You've got this thing figured out. <laughs> the Lapeer campus pastor is moving to Texas. So starting tomorrow, you're going to be the interim campus pastor. So uh, you need to get there tomorrow morning. And so I, I got there, and I had a chance to serve as the interim campus pastor at Lapeer. I did that from April until August. And it was just, it was a good time. I mean, it's a really, really good church just great people, loving people. And I was able to help interview the next campus pastor. I was able to lay hands on him and, and pray over him and commission him to ministry. So in August, we did that. And the very next Monday, so on Sunday, we did that. The next day on Monday, I drove to Chesterfield to become their campus pastor, their interim campus pastor. And so it was immediate. But in that time, like my family's going through transition, we sold our house there we moved here in August, so finally we had everyone back together. 
So I started the interim position and did that from August until the first part of December. And again, you know, reading through just gobs of resumes, listening to sermons, interviewing people, helping to get things started at Detroit East. Uh, we got the campus pastor, and you guys will, some of you will remember, in December, I came here, I think it was December the 10th, I, I think was the date, just so we could start to get introduced. But in the new year, I was able to join you as your interim at campus pastor. I'm going to come back to that story because that's where it gets really interesting. I'll come back to that story in just a second. But I want to go back to Mark. We were talking about Bartimaeus, if you remember, and his deep need. He knew. He knew his deep need. It was a place of humility that he was able to recognize his need, and he didn't let go of that. Now, in Mark, you see this connection between spiritual blindness and physical blindness. Right? It's all throughout Mark. Like in Mark chapter 8, verse 18, it says this. It says, for those who have eyes but do not see. Do you see that? Like Mark connects spiritual blindness and physical blindness. He, he connects the two. The verse before he says, again, think about this. For I, those who have eyes but don't see, they don't see that life is more than food. That Jesus came to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, it's at that place that we get to our next major point, which is that saving faith has tasted a deep love. Go back to scripture. Look at this again. Verse 49. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up. He's calling you and throwing off his cloak. He sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. So Jesus stopped, right? This whole crowd is walking along. They stop. And as they stop, he says, bring the man to me, which is so funny to me. Right, Because just a moment ago, the man is sitting there, he calls out to Jesus, and they shush him. Right? They tell him, you, you hush up, we don't want to hear from you, we're on a mission, we got stuff to do, you hush. And then all of a sudden, Jesus stops, and he's like, hey, call him, I want you to bring him. So they're like, we were just kidding, don't hush up, get up, throw off your cloak, you need to get to Jesus. And he gets in front of Jesus, and Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And look what he says, he does not hesitate, church, he knows his need. Look what he says, he says, rabbi, which means teacher, let me recover my sight. And I think maybe it's just me, but sometimes I read the Bible so fast that I miss some key things. Do you ever do that? Like you just read, but if you'll slow down, there's some beauty there. Slow down right here. Just slow way, way, way down. Because when you do, you realize that the words that he's getting ready to hear are the last words that he will ever hear in total darkness. Do you realize that? What Jesus is getting ready to say, they're the last words that he will ever hear in total darkness. They're the sweetest words he's ever heard. Here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Or your faith has saved you. And I think that any of us who have placed our faith in Jesus, we know this moment well, don't we? We know what it's like when we're living in darkness and all of a sudden something happens and he breaks through our heart and this wave of grace comes smashing over us and we get it and our eyes are open and everything changes from that moment moving forward. You know what I'm talking about? As followers of Jesus, we know this moment. We know this moment really well, but we have to ask, why? Why did Bartimaeus so badly want to get in front of Jesus? Have you wondered that? Why has Bartimaeus wanted to get in front of Jesus? He sits there every single day. 
There's people who pass by him every single day. Why did he want so badly to stand in front of Jesus? How did he know? And I think that's where when we dive deep, when you really start to dig into scripture just a little bit, it makes so much more sense. It gives us this aha moment. Here's what I mean. Look what he says. He calls Jesus the son of David. Did you see that? He did it twice. He called him the son of David. He did it twice. This is the first time in the whole gospel of Mark that you see this phrase used. But it's not the last. Remember I talked about how Jesus is getting ready to go to Jerusalem? And that that's the last, like that holy week. We see that portion. Jesus uses this phrase at least a couple times. He uses it in chapter 11. You might write that down. Chapter 11, verses 9 and 10, when he talks about our father, David. He does it again in chapter 12, verse 35, when he says, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? Where? Where are they getting this son of David stuff? Well, they get it from the theology that we pull out of the book of Isaiah. Write this note down, Isaiah chapter 35, chapter 35, verses 5 and 6. That's where it's coming from. The prophet Isaiah, we're talking about 400 years before Jesus, hundreds of years before Jesus ever comes on the scene. That's where we see this said. It says that there's a time coming for the people of God when one, listen, when one from the lineage of David will come upon whom the Spirit of the Lord would rest and with whom God was well pleased. Do you see that? And in this time, the fortunes of Israel would turn so that the eyes of the blind would be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, the lame man would leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute would sing for joy. In the book of Mark, Jesus does all these things, and Bartimaeus is paying attention. And he says this Jesus of Nazareth, he is the son of David. He's the one we've been waiting for this this is the guy. I am seeing the prophecy come to life right in front of me. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that beautiful? There's more, though. There's more. Look what he says. He says, when he calls out to Jesus, he says, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Why would he say that? Why that specific phrase? This is where you got to slow down. Why that specific phrase? Well, the specific phrase comes from Psalms. The book of Psalms, if you're new to church, that book of Psalms is... It's Israel's songbook is what it is. It's Israel's songbook. So back in the day, when I first started going to church, we had hymnals. Y'all remember hymnals? Yeah, all right. A hymnal is a book full of songs, and you're not allowed to sing any other songs other than what's in that book. And so they're going to, the song leader would look at you and say, turn in your books to song number 357. So you're flipping over to song 357, and we're all going to sing that out of our little books, right? A hymnal. That's basically what the book of Psalms is. It's Israel's songbook. And Bartimaeus would have been keenly aware. He would have been so acutely aware of what Psalm 57 says. Here's what it says. You can write this down too. Psalm 57, verse 1 through 3, he says, have mercy on me. That's what the psalmist says. Have mercy on me. Oh, God, have mercy on me. He says it twice, just like Bartimaeus does. Have mercy on me. Oh, God, have mercy on me. The psalmist is saying, God, I have a need, and you are the only one who can rescue me in that need. You're the only, and he goes on to say, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge. I am not going to trust anything else for my security other than the shadow of your wings. Not my wisdom, not my strength, not my power, not my money, not anything else. The shot of your wings, that's my hiding place. That's my rescue place till the storms of destruction pass by. 
I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. This covenant God, this love from this covenant God sent Jesus to do exactly this. That's why Jesus came. And Bartimaeus is in that place saying, rescue me, hear me, have mercy on me, O God. And that's when he looks and he sees Jesus and he says, there he is, the son of David. He's the one who's come to make all this right. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that beautiful? I want to go back just for a moment to my story. Um, Pastor Steve is an incredible leader. An incredible pastor, just done an amazing job over the, over the past five years. And um, over the past few months, he's come to me a few times. And he said, you know, Billy, what do you, what do you think about just staying at Romeo? What do you think? And I would always just laugh it off. Like, I would almost like, I'm not even going to pause. We're not going to really think about it. I would just laugh and say, yeah, we need to hurry and get someone hired, don't we? Because I have a full-time job. And I think because... I had already done the interim thing at two other campuses. I'm like, I know this process. We go through, and then we hire someone, and then I transition to whatever's next, you know? But I'm like, Steve, I got a full-time job. You know, we're going to find a great guy. Let's look at another resume. You know, you got to get on it, Steve. Let's... And over the past few weeks, I've been processing why. Why, why, did, I, why did I do that? Why did I just laugh it off? Why didn't, why didn't I stop and slow down? And I, I think there's a couple reasons. The first reason, um, the first reason was just to protect my own heart. I, I mean, and I'm just going to be very vulnerable. If that's okay, I'm just going to be very, very transparent, very vulnerable with you for a second. Um, I think it was to protect my own heart. When a person's been through hurt, when a, when a person's had a, a, a struggle somewhere in there, like you want to get protected, you don't want hurt again, right? And so you, you protect yourself a little bit. So I think that was part of it. And I think part of it, honestly, was to protect you. Uh, and I say protect you because I realize that there's uniquenesses about me. Like, I, I know that. I know that I've been through trials in life. And so I get to decide how do I handle that. That's what we all do, right? We go through life and things happen and we have to figure out, okay, who am I going to be based on what I've just experienced? And so for me, I've made the decision that I'm going to laugh a lot and I'm going to smile a lot because I don't know what's getting ready to happen tomorrow, right? So I might as well be happy today. I don't get to decide how anything really goes in life. I get to choose whether I'm happy or sad, and I choose happy. That's the one I pick. I'm just going to pick joy in my life. And so I know that my approach then to how I preach, that, that comes out, and it's just, it's just different, right? There's not better or worse, just, just different, and I know that about me. I know that um, I preach with a very narrative style. I get it. I know um, when I went to seminary, my number one goal is I want to know how do I communicate the gospel? How do I communicate the truth of who God is in a way that everyone can understand? Because as a missionary, going as a missionary, that's, that's the goal, right? You're talking to people who maybe they've never even heard anything about God. So I look at it, whether a person's in middle school or been a follower of Jesus for 60 years, I want to communicate truth in a compelling way that people understand. And, but I know this, that's different than how some pastors do. And so, I mean, as I'm talking to Steve and I'm processing this, I'm, I'm, I'm talking him through all of this. Um, I, I know that there's a tension when you preach, right? There's, there's truth and there's grace. There's love and there's justice. It's this constant tension 
when someone preaches. And maybe you've never even known how to verbalize it. But as pastors, that's what we verbalize. You know, there's grace and there's truth and there's love and there's justice. And, and how do we perfectly live out both when we're not perfect? How do we do that? Especially when my role has been that of an interim. Now, as an interim, I don't want to come in and create a mess. Like, I don't want to ruffle all your feathers as an interim. My job is to not make a mess. That's what my job is. My job is to keep things calm. My job is to keep everyone from being nervous Nellies. Like, that's, that's kind of what my job is. Just come in and, and, and don't, don't be mean. Like, just come in. But as a campus pastor, as a campus pastor, it changes a little bit, doesn't it? Because as I get to know you and you get to know me, there's a responsibility to press in that area of challenge a bit more. There's a, there's a responsibility to say, here's where God's ways are and here's where we are. Church, we're not hitting the mark and we need to get that in line. There's a responsibility from the campus pastor to do that. And so these are some of the things that I've been processing, just so you know. These are some of the things that's been going through my heart and conversations. In fact, Steve grabbed me. The date was February 15th. I went back and looked. Just to make sure, I wanted to like make sure, February the 15th, I had a Thursday morning meeting with Steve. And I, uh, I oftentimes have meetings with Steve's. We'll talk about what's going on at Detroit East or what's going on with the interim process or what's going on with staff. Like we have a lot of different work conversations that we'll have. So I, you know, I just thought, well, I'm going in just to have a normal sit down with Steve. This is what we do. And I'll mess with this book. If you've ever been in this office, anyone ever been in Steve's office? Like they're perfect. Like, they're perfect. And so me, just being me, I wait till he turns around, I take my fingers, and I'll push two of them in. And I sit down. Just, you know, and so he always knows when I've been to his office because his books are all messed up. Um, <laughs> he loves it. It's his favorite. So as we sat down, we started talking. He said, um, you know, I met with Pastor Doug this morning, and we're getting ready to hire a company. So, Billy, on Tuesday, we're going to sign on the dotted line, and we're going to hire a company to help us bring in the next campus pastor. You know, we're, we're going, we've already been doing a national search, but they're going to help us uh, sort through and bring in some candidates. He said, but Doug wanted me to go through and any potential internal candidates have just one more talk. He said, so if there's any possibility that you would have any interest in staying at Romeo, we need to speak now or forever, hold your peace. And um, that launched into a two and a half hour long conversation. And we talked about everything that I just told you, just at a deeper level, you know, strengths and liabilities that I have. And uh, we talked about, talked about the past, talked about now, talked about the future. And just, you know, the whole reason I talked about the communication stuff, I just want you to know I'm very, very aware of where my liabilities are and my communication style. I'm, I'm very aware of that. And it is something that I think every pastor uh, continues to try to sharpen and grow in, and, and that we just continue to, to, to get better. So I just want you to hear me say that. Um, so after that two and a half hour long conversation, we kind of finished up, and we didn't really land anywhere, and I went back to my little cubicle, and I sat down at the computer, and he came walking by. He goes, wait a second, what am I supposed to tell Doug? Like, I don't, I, what was the answer? And um, I just said, you know what, give me, give me 48 hours. Let me, let me pray about this. Give me 48 hours. I closed up the computer, packed it in my bag, and looked at the clock, and it was just before noon when I left. And so I left. I was in the Prius, the little bitty, teeny tiny Prius, <laughs> and I, I spent the next five hours just sitting. I, well, that's not, it wasn't totally long. I went to Starbucks first and got like the biggest coffee <laughs> they would sell me. And so it was me and Starbucks and Jesus hanging out in the car for the next five hours. And it was really just me saying, Lord, I, I need to hear from you. 
I, I really, really need to hear from you. I need to know what you want. I want to be faithful no matter what that is. I want to be obedient no matter what that is. I just, I really need to hear from you. And so five hours later, I went home, and Amy got home, and I said, honey, we need to talk. And she's probably thinking, like, great, the dog's dead, you know, or because my I didn't introduce my dog. I didn't show Reese. So my, my wire fox terrier is 14 years old. Like, he's deaf. He's blind. He is so old. Like, he is so old. So anyway, I'm like, Amy, we need to, we need to talk. And so I told her about all the events of the day. I told her about where I'm processing and what's going on, and Amy lost it, and she just started she just started weeping and crying because she's like, you know, we've already figured out we do ministry as a family. Whether you're at a place for two months or, or 20 years, we do ministry as a family. So I'll be with you no matter what, but I miss having a church home. And it's different. It's like I miss having a church home. I miss having our people that we do life with that knows us and we know them. I, I, I miss that. Um, it's scary. Like, I, I would be fibbing to you if I didn't say it. it's scary because people are messy, right? We are, we are so messy. And so I think to get in that place, that vulnerable place of saying, let's do life together. Let's go on this journey together. I want to walk alongside you as a shepherd together. Like, that's, that's, a, that's a scary place to be. So we talked uh, all of Thursday night. Friday, I'm off. Uh, pastors get either Mondays or Fridays off. I always pick Friday uh, just feels better to me. So I take Fridays off, and I had the whole day just to think and, and pray and, and think and pray. And Amy got home, again, February 15th is when all this started. That's Valentine's Day weekend. Remember I told you guys about the place where you have to pay more money, but you cook your own food? And how? Yeah, that was that night. So just so you know, on that date night, we went out on that date night to celebrate Valentine's Day, and we just talked about you the whole time, just so you know. That's what we were doing on that date night as we ate meat. We, we were <laughs> thinking about and uh, talking about, about you. And uh, so I, I felt that night, I felt that night like I, I know which way I'm leaning in this. I may be lighthearted, but doesn't mean I take the task of the gospel lightly. I think we should never confuse the two. Like I may be lighthearted, but I don't, I don't take the task of the gospel lightly. I also take the calling very seriously. So the calling is not something you lean into. You know what I mean? Like, you don't just lean into being a pastor. That's not what you do. So I said, well, let's take Saturday. And so on Saturday, we got in the Prius, and we hit the highway, which means I had to hit the power button. And so we hit the power button, and we just drove, and we talked, and, and we drove, and we talked for hours, and Gabe's in the conversation. I'm messaging Ian and Ipsy, and, and Ian's in the conversation, and Steve gave me 48 hours, and it's 48 hours. But he hadn't messaged me, so I didn't message him. And um, that's when we really came to this decision. I said, you know what? I want, I want to do one thing. This is important to me. I want to go on Sunday, and I want to preach. I want to preach at Romeo, but I want to do it with the lens of a shepherd. I want to do it with the lens of a pastor. That's different than an interim. Again, an interim, it just, it's, it's safe. I come in, no one gets too close, I don't get too close, and I leave, right? That's, that's what an interim does. Now, one of you, from the perspective of a shepherd, let me try that. And I was really seeking God's affirmation in a calling that day. And what's interesting is, I didn't tell Steve that that's what I was doing. I didn't, I didn't tell any of you that's what I was doing. Amy knew, and Gabe knew, and Ian knew. That's who knew. And that morning, I can't tell you what it did for me inside because 
I had person after person stopping. There was one specific group of ladies who stopped and shared some things that God seared on my heart. I had one of the deacons grab me. One of the deacons grabbed me and gave me like a big man hug. Not like a little hug, but like man hug. You know, where you chance up when you hug, you know. He gave me, he gave me one of those hugs. We're going to show your neck things, you know. Like he gave me one of those hugs. And he was like, man, I just want you to know your family is such a great fit here. Like I just feel like I'm supposed to tell you that. Your family just, and I'm like, are you kidding me? Like God just did. And then there was a guy who grabbed me and said, hey, I just need five minutes in your office, if that's okay. This has not happened in the two months that we had been here, and all of a sudden it's all happening by coincidence, right? Or maybe it was the Lord leading people, but this guy said, I just want to take five minutes, just five minutes. He went back to the office, and he said some things to me that it was like, all right, Lord, I don't know how else I'm supposed to listen, but I get it. So I sent Steve a message that afternoon and said, I would love to continue the conversation. It took him six hours to respond, church. <laughs> I was freaking out. I was so nervous. I'm like, man, did I, I, I said 48, but like, because I went over, did I miss my chance? And, um, oh, that was nerve I think he went to the movies or something. I don't know. But six hours later, Steve responded. And um, that started the process. And like Steve said, since that time, we've interviewed with all of the staff and with some of the key leaders and with the elders and with the deacons and the deaconesses. And again, I'm just super, super humbled to be here, uh, especially with something with so much weight to it. Uh, there's a lot more personal stuff I'd love to share with you today, like a lot more. We have a lot of stories we could share, but I think we would miss the mark if we didn't talk about the real reason. Let's go back to the big idea today, because the big idea is bigger than the name of the pastor's family or the potential of me walking alongside you as a shepherd. It is so much more than that. The big idea today is this. Saving faith prizes spiritual sight over personal glory. Saving faith prizes spiritual sight over personal glory. Bartimaeus goes to Jesus and Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? That should sound so familiar, church, because you just heard it last week. I just preached it last week. Last week, James and John went to Jesus. Do you remember? James and John went to Jesus, and they said, Jesus, whatever we ask you to do, we want you to do for us. Like, it doesn't even matter what we ask Jesus. You're supposed to say yes. And Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? Isn't that interesting? So close, so close in proximity and scripture to each other. What do you want me to do for you? James and John. Two of the three closest to people to Jesus and all the disciples, James and John said, we want glory. We want to sit next to you, one at the left, one at the right. We want it to be about us, about our fame, about our name, about our story, about our glory. That's what we're really after, Jesus. And Jesus says, you don't even know what you're asking. You, you don't have any clue what you're asking. Let's get back to Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? And what do you say? He said, Jesus, I want to see. I just want sight. I don't want to be blind anymore. And Jesus says, your faith has made you well. I think a lot of us in here, we're followers of Jesus, right? We're disciples. We're people who look at Jesus and see the man who said, Lord, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. That's the same thing Bartimaeus said, right? Have mercy on me. You know the difference? There was no mercy for Jesus on the cross. There was no mercy for Jesus on the cross. He took on the sin of the entire world. 
He took on the sin of the entire world. He did that so that we could see. He did that so that we could be free. So I just want you to think about this. James and John had the opportunity to be disciples. They were, they were part of the 12. They walked with Jesus. They walked so closely, the dust from his feet fell on their face. That's how close they walked to Jesus. And they missed in this moment what it really meant to be a disciple. We're closing up our series today. I mean, right before that, you had the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler, he missed it. He was, he was a moral guy. He was a wealthy guy. He was good at following the rules, but Jesus is like, nope, but you miss it. You miss what it really means. And in this moment, I think he's holding up Bartimaeus for all of us to see. And he says, do you see, Bartimaeus? This is what it means to be a disciple. Lord, I just want to see. Lord, I just want to see. Heavenly Father, we do thank you. We thank you for the love that you have for us. We thank you that there is truth and there is grace there is love, but there's also justice. And God, we recognize today that we are sinners. We have fallen short of the glory of God. But we thank you for the truth that even while we were still sinners, you loved us. You loved us in that place, and that's when you sent Jesus. And we don't want to be people who ever grow callous to that truth. We don't ever want to forget what it was like when we first opened our eyes spiritually and we saw for the first time. Lord, we don't ever want to be put off because we're walking along the road and we have to stop because there's one more who wants to see. In fact, God, I want us to be hungry for that. I want us to have a desire that we never quit getting excited when the, when the train has to stop so that one more, people can, one more person can jump on. Remind us today, Lord, that it's not about our glory. We don't want our glory. We don't want our fame. Your name, your renown is the desire of our hearts. And Lord, I do pray for the person that maybe has never opened their eyes spiritually. I pray for the freedom in this place to be able to go to you and say, God, thank you for loving me. I know I'm a sinner. I know I've fallen short of the glory of God. Today, I want to repent. I want to turn from the way I've been living, and I want to turn to you. Lord, I pray for that person to be able to say, I believe. I believe that Jesus came, and he lived a perfect and a sinless life. Jesus, I know that you were crucified. You asked God to let the cup pass from you, and there was no passing of the cup. There was no mercy. There was justice. Complete and total justice on the cross. And I believe that you were placed in that tomb, and on the third day, you conquered sin. You conquered death. And I'm placing my faith and my hope and my trust in that truth today. Thank you rescue me. Thank you for setting me free. Thank you for being the Lord of all that I am.